0: chapter 5 verse 8 if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied do not be surprised at such things for one official is eyed by a higher one and over both of them are others higher still the increase from the land is taken by all and the king himself profits from the fields whoever loves money never has enough money whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income this too is meaningless. As good increase so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I've seen a grievous ill evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for the wind. All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realized that it is good And proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy with his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Well, thank you, Roy.
1: We're dipping backwards, changing gears a little bit, but following on from last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, uh, you'll remember we rounded out uh, the May Mission Month with a look at generosity, being people who are generous and the calling in our lives. And so I thought we'd continue that but a little bit differently from a different perspective, addressing a slightly different issue this week from, from the book of Ecclesiastes. And that was a perfect introduction, Roy, to the book. And it's often a very overlooked part of the Bible. We might know certain phrases because there's a lot of standalone verses that give all sorts of wisdom to living and so on. But seldom do we often spend time in the wisdom of Ecclesiastes or Proverbs, is, is another book full of those things, and reflect upon how they speak to us today as God's people, not as those who are living looking forward to God doing something, but those who are living in response to what we've seen God already do in Jesus Christ, and now looking forward to seeing uh, the fulfillment of that. But the reason why I wanted to look again at uh, the the idea of uh, wealth and finances and resources and those sorts of things, is because uh, we hear a lot of loud voices today, don't we? Increasingly so, and with good reason, comparatively, uh, that we're living in tough times in our part of the world, that economically, we're living in difficult times. And uh, if you're an avid reader or even a non-avid reader of the news, um, you'll see that this is a recurring theme. It's not a day goes by without a new article uh, warning us about bad times, even worse times to come, sometimes peppered with little glimpses of hope, but usually back to that same narrative uh, that we need to, you know, really prepare ourselves for difficult times. And many of you may be already experiencing that. Uh, most of us will be. We certainly will be again with our electricity bills at the end of, or come July, as we uh, uh, were being told are going to increase uh, 50% or something um, ridiculous like that. But life is at the moment, we're told, very loudly, economically difficult for us. So how do we respond to that kind of doom and gloom? How do God's people respond? And what better opportunity than when we're together on a Sunday morning to take in as we inhale um, that that refreshing reminder of who we are in Christ, of what he's done for us through his life and death, and how his spirit continues to work in our life. What better way than to do that now um, and to to perhaps reflect uh, in our hearts as to how we're going to respond. Um, the, if we summarise the book of Ecclesiastes, it is uh, looking at life under the sun, you know, living under the S-U-N, under the sun, um, you know, and it's uh, pretty doom and gloom generally. Um, it's, it is written from someone who actually has a, a very wealthy, but is looking back upon that and sort of going, what was it all for? Um, and, uh, and so for us today, we, can, we cannot help but look at the book of Ecclesiastes or read it, as those who are now living under a different sun. We're now living under the sun, God's sun, S-O-N. And uh, you may remember several years ago, we, um, we had a, an introductory look at uh, Ecclesiastes quite some time ago now, and I just thought we'd re- revisit this particular passage this morning. And the point of Ecclesiastes is that life is tough under the sun, under the S-U-N. And therefore, it can often seem meaningless and futile. And that's because it's largely driven so much by wealth, by the accumulation of wealth, uh, by the, you know, we need wealth in order to live. What standard of life should we accept uh, to live? You know, should we be aspiring to always improve ourselves and improve the next generation and so on? And we've uh, we been doing that now for a number of generations and we, we're, we're looking around going, well, now we're just destroying the planet. You know, like, what what's what's a sufficient... Uh, lifestyle when we look at, at our world globally and we see that hang on um, there's only a very small percentage um, of uh, the majority of the wealth who, who get to experience it and enjoy it and, and how is that impacting the majority who don't at all benefit from wealth it's not distributed fairly or evenly I should say what should we be buying with the wealth that we accumulate what should we how should we spend our money and what standard of lifestyle should we expect as sufficient to enjoy life well the good news about Jesus is that it is not meaningless uh, under the Sun when we live under him when we live as followers of Jesus and, uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at, dipping into Ecclesiastes, having a look at what um, Ecclesiastes says here. I will refer to him as uh, the teacher, that's who wrote it. Uh, we most likely know this is King Solomon, uh, one of the wealthiest, or certainly the wealthiest king of Israel at the time. In fact, declared as the wisest and one of the wealthiest uh, in the known world at the time that he wrote these musings, looking back upon his life. Well, it's really important, it's always going to challenge uh, us as God's people. Whenever we look at what the world says or what our experiences in life are, and then we look at what Jesus calls us to and who we can be in Him, there's always going to be a challenge. And uh, particularly when it comes to the issue of wealth and resources. Uh, As we heard last Sunday, Jesus spoke uh, in parables, and just over a quarter of them, just over 25% of these 40 parables that He shared, were... the story he told was around wealth or possessions uh, money and riches those kinds of things which means it's very important this topic because it affects not only the way we live but more importantly it shapes how we live and what priorities we might have in life and so the teacher here gets straight to the point in uh, verses 10 to 11 by addressing his observations on the quest for wealth. If you've got your Bibles, keep them open there at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5 and we'll be looking between 8 and 20 as we go through it. Most of the readings will be up on the screen uh, and hopefully they are helpful. But he's addressing his observations and these are things that he pursued most of his own life, the teacher, King Solomon. And throughout this passage, we encounter two different groups of people. We encounter the rich and we encounter the poor which is kind of how most of us perhaps see the world, right? You know, just loosely, just generally. We, we, we know there are the wealthy and we know there are the poor. And of course, most of us would fit uh, somewhere in between that. Um, yet when it comes to the rich and the poor, the Bible actually seems to speak of four groups, uh, they seem to speak of four groups. It's, for, it's far more concerned um, about how we receive whatever wealth and resources uh, that we uh, get or earn or accumulate in our lives rather than uh, which specific group we're in. So it's a little bit more complex than just the rich or the poor. There are actually four groups. The Bible um, speaks of, of this uh, because wealth actually isn't the issue, money isn't actually the issue. It is, as we heard last Sunday, it's our hearts. It's our human hearts in response to these things. And that's what the Bible, that's what God's Word is more interested in. Not so much um, what we do with our wealth or what we think about it, but our own hearts in response to it. So here are the four categories of rich and poor according to the Bible. You've got the righteous rich, then you've got um, the unrighteous rich, and you've got the righteous poor and then you've got the unrighteous poor Now that can be a little bit uh, confusing um next slide if we've got it there and maybe you want to just take a moment to have a think about those four groups and think okay the righteous rich the unrighteous rich the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor which category um which category are we talking about here where might you see yourself in those four categories Because each one of these give us a biblical framework for understanding what it means to be rich or to be poor. And that's what we discover in these verses. Firstly, the teacher begins with the righteous poor and the unrighteous rich. Have a look again at verses 8 to 9. If you see the poor oppressed in a district, so these are the righteous poor, and justice and rights are denied to them, this is why they're righteous, because they're they're victims of, of injustice, do not be surprised at such things. Why? Well, for one official um, is eyed by, uh, by um, a higher one, and over them, both uh, others still higher again. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's a little different to your Bible, to your NIV. The increase from the land is taken by all, and the king himself profits from the fields. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the system you and I are very, very familiar with. Um, Solomon is a king, so he understands how this works, right down from the very, very top of the rich and powerful, right down uh, to the poor and the downtrodden. And this is an example, uh, a summary of the righteous poor who are oppressed by the uh, unrighteous rich. And yet this oppression actually includes both the rich and the poor because both are actually equally getting ripped off by those above them. Okay, there's always someone above the rich. Uh, you'll often hear the rich fighting for better tax breaks because they argue that they're investing more into the economy, and, but still, they're still subject to, to governments and so on. And, and basically, for both the rich and the poor, there's no one who can help them. This is why Sol- Solomon says, don't be surprised when these things happen, when you see righteous uh, people who are poor being oppressed by the unrighteous rich, those in positions of power. Um, whose wealth has been most likely made through uh, loopholes and uh, their advanced experience and intelligence, um, and uh, which is late in years to come discovered to be corruption. Uh, for example, uh, said to someone the other day, um, "Today's good business is tomorrow's uh, corruption." Um, it, it, the law catches up, and we look at, we put in new laws, and um, we try and eradicate uh, what back in the day was just good business. We could summarise like this. You see, crooked people running a crooked nation are never really examples that we need to be looking up to as God's people. They're not examples that we hold up as those living in the kingdom. Well, now we need, to, to, uh, we need money to live. There's no question about that. The Bible affirms this as well. Let me just say the Bible is not against uh, money and wealth. At all. In fact, uh, Solomon speaks of, next here, the unrighteous rich as he continues in verses 10 to 11. And here we see that wealth isn't the problem. The unrighteous rich are those who are wealthy and who enjoy many good things in life. But they're also those who love money. This is what makes them unrighteous. And therefore, they never have enough. They spend all their efforts and energy pursuing it. They think that wealth brings true happiness and contentment. And the teacher says, and he's one of them, uh, the teacher says that the more you have, the more people there are around you who will help you spend it. That's what he says in those verses, between verses 10 and 11. So what good is it? There's more of an obligation, there's more of a, a moral obligation, a, a, a conscience issue that you've got all this wealth, or, you know, how do I, I need to be able to spend it wisely? Um, look at how many people who have gone from, uh, say, poverty to uh, exorbitant riches by quick gains, like winning lotto or something like that. And the statistics are enormous. Those who have won lotto become quite rich from poor and within five years or so, they're almost back to where they were. It's a burdensome thing. They wish they'd never won it. Um, The family lines up and friends and different things and then they get the guilts and then they give it away and then they spend it on themselves and all those sorts of things. It's a burden. And and, and the love of money is the problem here. The love of money is the problem here. We realise that money in itself isn't bad or ungodly, it's there and there will be people who will always naturally make money and know how to increase it. But the Bible's actually quite neutral on money and wealth itself. You can worship God and honour Him with your money, with your wealth, uh, by being generous, by prioritising His kingdom, by caring for your family, by helping those in need. Or you can worship your money and your wealth and make it an idol in your life, something that owns you. And that's why the Bible never speaks poorly of money, but it always speaks poorly of what? The love of money. The love of money, uh, as it says elsewhere, is the root of evil. Well, the love of money means that your heart and your hope are in your wealth so that your identity and your security are in those material things rather than in the one who matters, the God who created us, who loved us and who saved us in Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be an unrighteous rich person as well. And the teacher, Solomon, being the richest man and arguably the most lavish lifestyle that he lived in the time that he lived, he declares that he is still miserable looks back in his life and he says, everything is utterly haval, everything is utterly meaningless, it's futile. His wealth and his experiences have done nothing to deal with that misery and he's terribly unsatisfied. And we see this so often, don't we? We hear of it all the time. The world is filled with plenty of people who seem to have it all, but who are actually the most miserable, the most unsatisfied, the most discontented. And, and they can be deeply selfish people, not always, but they get consumed with this empire they've built for themselves. Well, Solomon then uh, contrasts the righteous poor and the unrighteous rich in verses 12 to 15. Have a look at it again. He says, the sleeper of a, of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or they eat much. Okay, so that's the righteous poor. This is someone that just has a good work ethic, just gets on, works hard, doesn't worry about wealth and accumulation, all those things. And their labor, uh, their sleep is sweet. They have a clear conscience, they, whether they eat little or they eat much. But as for the rich, this is the unrighteous rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The teacher says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that they have no children, they have nothing to give their children uh, to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. It's a wonderful... we we all know that one, don't we? I was born into this world with nothing and will be leaving this world with nothing. They take nothing from their toil and they can carry uh, the toil that they carry in their hands. You see, the righteous poor will work hard all day and they'll work honestly. They'll come to home to eat whatever's there whatever's in the fridge, and then they go to bed and then they get up in the morning and they do it again. They sleep well because their conscience is clear. They don't rip anyone off that day. They don't exaggerate their hours. They're not bludging off their boss. They're living in the moment, uh, grateful for the work that they have, and they work consistently and fairly. And and according to the Bible, a clear conscience is absolutely priceless. It says elsewhere in in the wisdom literature, like in Proverbs, it's a priceless thing that cannot be bought, a clear conscience. No amount of money can purchase a clear conscience. Those with a clear conscience can live with themselves, and and they sleep really well at night. They're not scheming, they're not planning, they're not collecting, they're not hoarding. I don't know if you've ever seen um, some of those hoarding TV shows, those reality TV shows. Uh, occasionally I sort of, you know, maybe stop for a moment on, on going through the channels and you might see one. They're incredibly sad, aren't they? Aren't they sad stories and shocking, shocking kind of lives and it's it's astounding looking from the outside as to how someone gets into that situation. But even the fact that they needed outside intervention, while in the situation they didn't even realise how trapped they were. In fact, often in the documentaries and the... Reality TV shows, they're just—they're talking and explaining why that mess is there and why they haven't moved it and why it's gotten feral and health, a massive health risk. They can actually rationalise it. There's a real, a real sickness there, isn't there? Well, the teacher reminds us well that you came into this world naked and you're going to leave exactly the same way, nothing in the bank account. So when all's said and done, life is almost like a trip around a cul-de-sac, isn't it? We start out and we come back. I told you, Roy warned us, it's a dark, this is a dark book, it's written from a dark place. You can't take anything you've accumulated with you and if you store up your treasures on earth, well, there's not one safe place to put it in. You know, it either rots, becomes yesterday's model, last year's model and you need to be looking at getting another one or another thing. Or someone might just come in and take it for themselves. An unrighteous poorer person or an unrighteous rich person trying to head up the other other direction. So not only is hoarding pointless and harmful to the hoarder, but unforeseen things can happen that rob you of your wealth as well. Just look at our world today. Real estate markets rise and then crash, and even when they rise, you've got to then, if you try and make money on them, you've got to buy back in at that same level. Uh, investments go bad, the stock market can take a turn for the worst in an instance, and the longer you keep your cash stacked up, people will find a way to eat away at it Eat away at your life savings and and things won't be as as it once was. I remember once um, a well meaning uh, gentleman during the um, GFC around 2008 9, there, 2010, um, getting really upset at a church meeting. And when we finally got to it, he, he blurted out the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that he's just lost in his superannuation just like that. And I remember, I didn't say anything, but I remember thinking, hundreds and hundreds of thousands you've lost? I would love to be able to to be in a position where i can lose hundreds and hundreds of thousands i mean just think about it. it's like people that complain about paying a million dollars tax a year you go really you've got you've got a tax bill for a million dollars like what are you making you you know what i mean it's something you just get caught up in it's never enough well what do we do in light of this well the key is to keep god's kingdom a focus that's why jesus said it very clearly Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all these things, all these things that we need, all these things that we don't need but we enjoy, all these things will be added to you, will be given to you. I take care of my children, says Jesus. Look at the birds of the air uh, and the trees of the field. They don't ask for anything and yet they're always provided with enough. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we can do. And that even and especially affects uh, what we do with our wealth and how we see what it is that God gives us. Um, you know, there's a reference in here too about not having anything to in- inherit, how it can whittle away that way as well. Um, you get caught up in that. Uh, just by way of, a, of an advertisement, you've probably seen this bumper sticker uh, on the back of cars and it's, I know it's meant to be funny and maybe some of you, have. Uh, I hope you haven't got it on your RVs, but you know the one. We're spending our kids or our grandkids' inheritance you know, and it's kind of like a virtue today, isn't it? It's like, you know, that's actually um, a virtue. It's something to be proud of. Uh, this is what we're doing. I would love to, not because I feel like I... I, I don't think anyone's actually should be relying on inheritance because it's, it's not, our, not our wealth, right? Um, but I would love to just add to this, this sticker and have another one underneath and say, you know, where it says, we're spending our kids' inheritance dot, 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 because I'm selfish and I've failed to see the blessing I could be to others well after I'm gone, for example. <laughs> It'll never catch on? Oh, okay. You see, when it comes to making sense of our dollars, all four groups of people, whether you're the unrighteous poor or the righteous poor or the unrighteous rich or the righteous rich, all four groups of people, the Bible speaks of here, need to take heed and we need to listen to verses 16 to 7 in chapter 5. Because really, at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. Notice what he observes, the writer. He says, this too is a grievous evil. He's observed a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? Since they toil for the wind, all their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction and anger. You see, the same fate awaits all of us, really, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, unrighteous or righteous. If you've ever uh, voted for a politician to fix the world, for example, or you've put all your hopes in that, or you've signed a petition with great virtue, or you've written up a placard and held it up and ranted and raved it and, and, and really fought for a great cause to try and change the world, you'll know that this is true, right? Particularly as you get older. It seems like even our best efforts, our most concerted efforts, often does very little to make a dent and to change. Well, when it comes to the rich and what they do with their wealth, the unrighteous rich, it's a powerful thing. They take without giving back. They use people for their own gain. And they don't serve the needs of the masses who put them in power. This is what Solomon's observing. Even as a rich person, there are still governments that themselves act not in the best interests of those who have put them there, but who serve sometimes for their own, certainly for their own political gain, but sometimes even for their own personal gain. And then there's, of course, the unrighteous poor, and they're also similar. They do little to change the world because right from default, they live with this mentality that they are actually entitled to something they don't have. And they're, for the most part, not willing to take responsibility or to stop and think about what they can and can't be doing perhaps or needn't be doing, what they can be doing to, 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 to work on that. They're often victims. They're waiting for someone else to come and fix the problem. It's someone else, else who's got all this stuff and they often assume they've just got it because they haven't worked hard for it, they've just got it. And therefore they owe it to them as the unrighteous poor uh, to fix their problems. Their contribution to the world is very little because they always take, they always consume and even they, in their horrible position, aren't thinking about how they can contribute and give and be generous and serve others. So what's being said here, God's saying something here through Solomon and what he's showing us this morning is that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whatever it is that we're pursuing in life out of our own strength, out of our own sense of entitlement, out of our own... um, Self-confidence and pride in what what we're capable of and what we can achieve is foolishness and it's misery. And he goes one step further and describes it as a grievous evil. So what's the solution? (laughs) What's the way forward as God's people? How might we make sense of this? Well, sometimes God has to, first of all, crush, squash, annihilate (laughs) that vision that we might have or those understandings that we might have, in order so that we might capture again his vision and his purposes. And that's why Ecclesiastes, written by a wealthy, high-achieving king of Israel, is often so depressing. And our advantage is that we can learn from his hard-learned wisdom and the mistakes that he's made, which is, of course, the wisdom of God. And that's what God's done here. That's what God does in this, this message. He says it doesn't matter who you are whether you're in those two categories or in those four, any of those four categories. That's not the vision I want you to have. I have a new vision. And particularly for those in Christ, living under the, the capital S-O-N, the Son, Jesus Christ. What does that good life look like? Well, have a look at what he says in the last three verses. Verses 18 to 20. This is what I've observed, to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy with their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with what? Not the pursuit of more things or the whinging about not having things, but with gladness of heart. That's that joy that can only be found in Jesus. That peace, that contentment, that satisfaction in God and his presence and his provision. So what's the answer to living life well under the sun? Both under the sun and under the sun Jesus. Well, whether rich or poor, live a righteous life with God by the mercies of his grace. That's our take-home message this morning. Whether rich or poor, live a righteous life with God by the mercies of his grace. You see, each one of us, as we started our service off this morning, we're reminded again that, we're, that we are sinners, that we once had a, an unrepayable debt to God. And death was the only appropriate judgment that we rightly deserved. But thankfully, Jesus came from glory as we sung, and he came into poverty. He came from riches, and he came to humility. To pay our debt to God, He forgave that debt by His death and resurrection. And, and Jesus is now, as He's returned uh, to that glorious, rightful place that is His and His alone, to the throne of God, to the right hand of the Father, He's preparing a place for us in His kingdom. And that is our ultimate reality. That's what we not only look forward to, it's what we know we live in now, even if just for a part. Even in in the midst of all the things that go wrong and all the dissatisfactions, we know that we can and are living in God's kingdom right now. The Bible describes it elsewhere as like seeing things, like seeing the kingdom like through through a cloud, a foggy cloud, but but every now and then we see glimpses of it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, seek first the kingdom of God. One day, that'll be the only reality that any of us, all of us, by faith in Jesus, will know, experience, and live in. Well, what part, um, or what life, a righteous life under the sun, what does it look like? Here's a list that we can learn from Solomon. It's quite a simple one. Eat, drink, enjoy your work, accept your lot in life, where it is you are, make money, if you can, enjoy your health, enjoy your life, and move on from past hurts. That's how we summarise those verses that that Solomon concludes. A righteous life according to the Bible is intensely practical, isn't it? And all of these things, all of these things can be fully experienced and they can be enjoyed through the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ. That's how we look back at Ecclesiastes from this side of the cross. For us our default human condition is is to go life alone right it's to eat drink and be merry that's how that's how um for one of a better term those outside of christ that's how the world we live in um, those just living you know doing whatever's in their heart whatever feels right eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we shall die that's the kind of that's actually the epitome of a meaningless life that's not what solomon's saying here we get into more trouble when we eat drink without god when we go to work without God, when we aspire to be something that we think we should be without God, that we live a life that God never intended for us to live by loading ourselves up with this ridiculous workload that we can't carry in an effort to make really more money or to get more stuff or to spend more years perhaps wallowing in self-pity at what we don't have. Because no matter how hard we seem to work, we never seem to get anywhere. We're just as equally dissatisfied as a successful, wealthy person outside of God. But in either case, the results are that our lives are ruined, right? We rob ourselves of good health and we waste the precious energy that we have when we live in the shadows of the past rather than being content and satisfied in the present. And we sing it often, don't we? I trust you believe it, that God is a good God. God is a good, good Father. And he wants good things for his children. He wants good things for his children. He will give us good things. He has a good plan for us and he has good things to give us and he wants us to enjoy those good things. Even if we're living in a world that's messed up and, 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 and confusing and we can't, we can't figure things out, that's what he wants us. Uh, that's how he wants us to live. We're to eat with him, we're to drink with him, we're to experience his presence in our places of work no matter what it is we're doing. Um, and and we're, we're to accept our lot in life with contentment, living in the moment. And out of this, we can make our money and we can enjoy health if we're given it. And, and we can find some good times in life. But only if we're willing, willing to move on from all the things we can complain about and, and things that we didn't want in our lives. Um, I heard it said once by someone that... um. Human beings, we can be like archaeologists, right? We've got this amazing ability and skill uh, to dig up a painful past, to look at it carefully again in detail, to dust it off, uh, you know, to hose it down, to hold it up in the light, to examine it, to pore over it. Instead, what we should be doing uh, is to not be haunted by the past, but actually to live in the moment and squeeze every last drop out of it we can knowing that this is a good life that God has given us, knowing that this is a good life, just knowing him, regardless of what it is we have or don't have. In this life, pain is inevitable, but misery is a choice. Pain's inevitable, but misery is a choice. And there's no point in brooding over the past. I want to encourage us all this morning as a church, from God's word here, If that's you, if you're someone who's worrying about the past, if you're someone um, who's concerned about whether it's the recent past or the distant past or anything in between, or things that you've said or not said or done and not done, that's not the life God has for you. He wants you to practice your uh, presence with him in the moment, right in the here and now and look forward to that glorious day where the inevitable pain in life will be gone once and for all. The key to the present is actually to let go of the past, isn't it? To let go of those things which drag us down, that rob us of joy, rob us of contentment and peace. None of the past has any future with Jesus because he's put it to death on the cross. So that's my encouragement this morning from God's word, and I trust it's something we can take into our lives as we leave from this place and continue to think about where we're at economically, all the different pressures that come that are around us, they're very real. Please don't hear, this is not Buddhism where you just pretend it's not real. <laughs> this is this, God knows it's real and yet he's called us to a different life, a powerful life, a content life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us when we eat, you are with us when we drink. We thank you that you can be with us even in the midst of our work. Father, we thank you for the ability and the freedom we have for those gifted to do so, to be able to make money, to be generous people, those with more, from whom more is expected. And Father, we thank you that uh, for those that don't have much, we can still know contentment in Jesus Christ, in your goodness. Help us to be thankful people. Help us to turn that gratitude into generosity and actions and deeds and things that we can do and contribute and meet the needs of others. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of health when we have it. We thank you for the promise of your presence when we don't have it, when it's taken from us or robbed from us. We thank you that you are still the same. You are still the good, good Father who is with us in the midst of that. And Father, most of all this morning, we thank you that we are free from the hurts of the past, from things done against us and things we've done against others. We thank you that in Jesus we are new creations and we lay claim to that hope and that truth. In our lives as we move forward i want to thank you for uh, the gift of being able to do that in community Uh, in this church whichever church that we're a part of whatever size whatever format that it takes thank you that we are not called to go through life alone even alone with you but that you place us in connection and community with others and we can be encouraged help us to be those who encourage one another We ask this so that your kingdom would shine through, it would grow, it would expand and draw others into a loving and fulfilling relationship with you through Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.